the very wealthy uh, houses in London and protect them from the, the rabble down below, you know, the common people. Nothing has changed, just the perception has changed. And everything has to do with perception. You find most of your perceptions have been distorted, something that goes back all the way to the old Zarathustrian religion because there were experts back then in understanding uh, that what comes through your senses, if if you can get in there before there is really get to your brain, you can distort the picture that gets to the brain, or else give them a fake reasoning, and they'll use that particular program, say a computer of reasoning, to come to a false conclusion, which you want them to come to. Nothing's changed. We're back with more of this after these messages. fighting for simple rights 
for people, for ordinary people, that you did enjoy for a little while, but they're now being taken away from you. But they were hard won by people that fought for those rights. And many people died in the process when the big corporations with the militias turned their guns on them in different places across the United States. That's the only reason uh, that up until about the 70s and 80s that you had uh, big corporations contributing to your pension plans. They were told to and encouraged to from the top. They were given tax reliefs if they would actually give you pension plans or drug plans, medication plans, that type of thing. Now they're taking them all away from you again. And if it hadn't been for all those that fought in the 1800s, you wouldn't have had them in the first place. So as they always say, easy come, easy go, because the next generation can be so quickly spoiled and indoctrinated that they, they won't even know the past and they won't really care. That's the tragedy of history, and they say history keeps repeating itself for the same reason. We're living in a time that was planned a long, long time ago, because during all these different revolutions that were going on, and you through all the different factions of socialism, communism, and all the isms that, that, that broke out in the, in the 1800s with radical groups that came in from Europe, uh, from very often working-class people, but they were led by the intelligentsia. Some had devious uh, plans. Other ones were, were more honest about what they were all about. But there's no doubt about it. In those days, there was a very rich and a very poor and there was a very, very tiny middle class, really. And now they're doing away with the middle class altogether to make sure that there's no one to lead to the masses again. That was always the agenda, because the elite watched these revolutions. They dealt with them severely, completely severely. You wouldn't believe you had to read your history if you can get your hands on any. And they, they had no, no qualms about slaughter or mass slaughter and rounding people up in the good old USA. The Hollywood from the 1950s onwards gives you nothing but cowboys and some fake old history. Most places within the U.S. were factory towns, owned by big magnets. Every house was owned. The shop that sold you your food was owned by the guy who owned the mine. The clothes you bought were bought at his store. So the money that you were paid went back into his, his, his hands again, you see. And these were based on a form of what they called it the Owenistic uh, society of, from Owens who came over with his idea and he named a town called Utopia and this was where the, the benevolent type of dictator would rule he got this idea from Voltaire long before him because Voltaire had tried it with a factory he ran a factory town where they made watches and you would go to the boss if you wanted to get married you'd go to the, the guy who owned the town who owned everything in the town and you'd ask him is it okay if I marry so and so and he could say yes or no because they wanted to encourage a good eugenics-type breeding amongst the commoners. This is all fairly recent history, but it's been completely eradicated from the school books. And Hollywood, as I say, took over and gave us a completely fake reality with Leave it to Beaver. And everybody in the U.S. wearing a collar and ties when Daddy came home and Mummy being completely spotless and acting like a robot. That's how they changed reality and at the present time they're going for the kill because the big boys during the 1800s the big powers the moneyed people uh, don't forget their history they are taught this stuff and it terrified them it terrified them 
that's why they eventually started to come up with the idea of leading those parties, actually creating some of them, and that's why they created the non-governmental organizations, which actually work for the elite themselves. That's how it was done, because they did not want a repetition, a repetition of any kind of internationalism on a workers' scale. They wanted their own form of internationalism, where these, these same families, who were always internationalists, would own the whole planet. It's quite clever. You see, that's a dialectic technique. Hard for some people to fathom, but that's how it works. Whereas those at the bottom work for a global system of some kind of utopian equality, uh, and no sooner, no sooner gain a yard before they're fighting with each other because that's human nature. They can't stand together like the ones at the top do. And they're easy to fragment as well. We're on a course for massive change, massive change. And the media turns out little stories every day to make the public think we're just going through this and through this and through this. And I do get hundreds of stories sent to me, which I often don't read, because I know the agenda. And to, to be scared because you actually see part of it being implemented uh, it doesn't scare me at all. I'm expecting all of this and a lot more. Because the idea when they created the League of Nations, which was to be the white horse, you see. It was going to be the white horse that would lead all of these big radical factions together to the table. In reality, the rider of the horse would be the big boys as usual, the same aristocracy. And that's what became the United Nations. The United Nations, you can join them if you go along with all of the tenets of their association. Look at all the names of the non-governmental organizations that belong to the United Nations. You'll be shocked. Yet these are the associations that you'll see every day in the newspaper demanding that the people get this, demanding that people want that, and you'll see governments passing laws on their behalf. This is the new supposed democracy, which is just an updated, covert, Sovietized system. And the Soviet system really was no different because the Politburo used to appoint the heads of the NGOs. Today it's just Rockefeller and a few hundred of his own royal henchmen that do the picking and the funding. 9-11 should not be stuck. We shouldn't get stuck on it because this is a war. The war was going on long before 9-11. For those that think that somehow before 9-11 things were rosy and cozy, you'd have to be very, very young indeed. Because it wasn't. The economy was already going downhill from the 70s onwards. The big plans to bring it down further were already uh, in progress. The free trade negotiations were, were already done in the late 80s. They talked about the unification of the Americas and they mandated it too. All of this was on the go. As I say, the only reason they gave us the, the big shock factor was to allow the unification of the Americas, the Far East, and have the rest of the world come in with the same agenda, unite through treaties on the same goal to hand power ultimately to the United Nations. This is a chessboard. Every part of the puzzle is just a piece on the chessboard, and most people don't know the game is even on. Therefore, you can't simply get stuck on one part of it.
you have to do your history before 9-11. You have to see all of the, the big corporations that were involved and already in running the world. H.G. Wells talked about it. You had Pruden and others in the 1800s talking about it. the corporations would be the new system, you have corporate fascism, and that would become the new government. But they also knew that they would need these supposed speakers or organizations that would pretend to speak on behalf of the public to guide the public along into acceptance and compliance. You've got to get into your books if you really want to know how we got to where we are today and where we're going. And don't be afraid when you see the news, when you read it every day. Back with more after these messages. through the matrix, trying to get people to realize that nothing's just happening by chance on a daily, weekly, monthly, or yearly basis. We live through a tremendous plan. That's what government's all about. Above the guys that you elect or think you elect into office, there are other, there's another government quickly talked about it, others talked about it. It's a parallel government. And they have untold billions at their command with which to hire think tanks on a full-time basis to work out problems and details and project the future. Project it in such a way that they'll make it all happen. That's what a business plan is. It's a long-term business plan. That's what the world is. We're living a big business plan. And we're all property of the big business boys. And that's why they're privatizing everything that the public built up with their tax money. Because once they privatize it, they can really put it to you when you need to, to use them. Now, we, we watched the Kyoto deal going down, and there's so much hitting the public, most folk forget everything. They can't remember even a few years ago and what was the last big crisis they had. But the Kyoto is to be a long-term ongoing thing as we are reduced to total interdependence on those who control all energy and resources. In other words, everything you need personally to live as an individual, a living, breathing person. And they may attach you on your breathing too, I've no doubt about that. After all, we are carbon-based entities, aren't we? And here's a, here's a little bit from the observer Sunday, January the 20th, 2008. And this is a taste of what's coming here. And I saw this years ago, coming in Britain. Furious fuel poverty soars close to a 10-year record. This is Kyoto, you see. They won't mention Kyoto anywhere in this article, but this is the result of Kyoto. One in six British households is living in fuel poverty, a new term, fuel poverty the highest for almost a decade, according to new figures that threaten the government's target to eradicate the problem in England by the end of the decade. Uh -huh. Fuel poverty is defined as when a household spends more than a tenth of its income on utility bills. The consumer group Energy Watch said yesterday there are now 4.4 million of these in the UK, 
with just over 3 million in England alone. Meanwhile, charities and other groups, these are the NGOs, right, led by the Association for the Con- and the Conservation of Energy, these are the ones that work for the big foundations that demand what the public want, are preparing a legal challenge in the next few weeks from the government to force the government to meet the 2010 target to which it is committed by law. So that's how they do it. They always do it with the government making statements of their commitments to reduce energy consumption. Then they use a big NGO to make sure the government gets to it. That's how they play this game for all the people who watch it, all the ordinary people. That's how it works. It said the figures came at the end of a week in which the UK's largest energy supplier, British Gas, said it was increasing bills by 15%. This month, EDF Energy and NPower raised prices by up to 27%. In one month, 27%. And two-thirds of British households will have to pay higher tariffs. Other suppliers are likely to follow suit soon. Of course they will. The regulator is called Ofgem's estimate of 4 million UK households living in fuel poverty in 2006 does not take into account the price rises announced this month. According to government figures, the last time there was many fuel-poor households was in 1999, when the figure was 4.5 million. Numbers then fell until about 2005, when fuel poverty started increasing again. Now, remember, these are the people who applied for for help. They can't can't heat themselves and so on. Uh, Most people don't apply. They're too ashamed, because this this system encourages you uh, to be ashamed, put on a happy face to your neighbours. Despite the likelihood of meeting the 2010 target becoming ever more remote, last month the government was accused of underfunding its Warm Front program, all these silly programs, which provides grants for poor households to insulate their homes. It allocated £800 million until 2010, but a government quango, the Fuel Poverty Advisory Group, says £1.3 billion is now needed. And it goes on to see how Gordon Brown will be embarrassed and all that rubbish. And I'll skip on to the next part, though. And it says here, uh, it goes on to see how much they're actually earning. The six largest energy suppliers made profits of £2 billion in six months alone last year. You see, everyone's getting fleeced as the big corporations uh, uh, just go on a mass slaughter of reaping their big harvest of bucks and pounds and all the rest of it. And this is all to do with Kyoto. Everything is presented to the public as something that's going to benefit the public. The public often pay for the big institutions we set up, whether it's gas, electric or whatever, and then they have a a privatization process. Britain had this all my life. I used to watch them privatizing things like the railroad and then putting it back to government so that when it was all used up and they had to repair everything, so the taxpayer thought, okay, it's ours again, so we repair everything, buy new uh, engines and all the rest of it, then they go and privatise it again for peanuts to their buddies. An old, old con game, left, right, left, right, left, right, and it's all happening uh, right up to the present time. won't change, because under this Energy Conservation Act and all the rest of it, we're going to be reduced to utter and absolute poverty. The idea being that your duty, and this is the Royal Institute for International Affairs, this is their mandate, your duty will be born, is to be born to serve, to serve the state. 
You're a servant. You have no rights. You're a servant. That's your purpose is to serve. And the whole idea down the roads of working supposedly for yourself, the little toys and all that, um, is to go out the window. And eventually, of course, you won't need toys because you'll be a, a, a Borg. That's where you're going with all of this. Happy Borgdom. Why would people take brain chips? Why would they take them? Well, I'll tell you after I get back from these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Alarms will go off if it doesn't detect that chip. 
that might even happen with the cards. In fact, I believe there's already some stores that do that, that they're testing out in the U.S. So science is our, our prisoner, you see. It's the warden of the prison, and the experts are the wardens as well. And what do they say is going to help us? They say that science is going to save us. Give us more of the same stuff that's going to, that has got us in this position. And science is going to save us. And this is from, this is from the Observer, January the 20th, 2008. Only science can save us from climate catastrophe. So there's a statement right there. It's a premise, you see. They always give you a premise that you swallow. And if you don't think about it, you'll swallow the rest. So remember, you're being sold a premise a priori, that's what it is. You're getting something in advance that's, that's not debatable. With an increasing population, which isn't true either, because the West has been declining in its population for years. They don't have the big families anymore, you see. The earnest debate over the merit of biofuels and wind farms misses the point. It is the technologies we fear that will be our salvation by John Gray. That's the observer. If there was ever an example of humankind, listen to how it's worded, being unable to bear too much reality, it is the current debate on climate change. I don't see any debate on climate change. I just see orders coming down from the top. No reasonable person, right? No reasonable person any longer doubts that the world is heating up or that this change has been triggered by human activity. There's another two premises. No, you're not reasonable if you doubt it. You can't be a reasonable person. And it's caused by human activity, you see? It's premise after premise. You've got to swallow it before you can go on with the rest of this stuff. This is how propaganda has worked and generated. It's classic. Aside from a dwindling band that rejects the clear findings of science, in other words, they know that the massive herd follows the majority. That's why they use polls, and polls are generally fake, to make you want to join the winning group. Aside from a dwindling band that rejects the clear findings of science, Everyone accepts that we face an unprecedented challenge. At the same time, there's a pervasive belief that this is a crisis that can be solved by feel-good gestures, such as eat, eating organic foods and refusing to fly, or installing a wind turbine on the roof. When it comes to deciding what should be done, most people, including the majority of environmentalists, shrink from the discomfort that goes with realistic thinking. George Bush seems to have been persuaded that climate science is not a left-wing conspiracy to join to destroy the American economy. Along with the rest of our political leaders, however, he continues to insist that there are no limits to growth as long as we adopt new technologies that are supposedly environmentally friendly, such as biofuels, economic expansion, and can go on as before. At the other end of the spectrum, Greens put their faith in sustainable growth. So there's blues and greens here, you see. Greens put their faith in sustainable growth and renewable energy, the root of the environmental crisis, they say, and here they agree with Bush, is their addiction to fossil fuels. Again, this fossil stuff is quite, quite fascinating. Uh, if only we switch to wind, wave, and solar power, all will be well. In political terms, Bush and the Greens could not be further apart, but there is one in resisting the most fundamental facts about the environmental crisis, which is that it cannot be resolved without a major reduction in our impact on the earth. This means curbing the production of greenhouse gases. These are greenhouse gases again. Where's all these greenhouses that are giving off these gases? Right? Greenhouse gases. 
Remember what Bertrand Russell says and all the rest of them? Just repetition, repetition. Go back to, to, to Lenin again. We shall win by the use of slogans because people start parroting slogans. And as Russell said, because everyone else is parting the slogan, even if there's 100% almost parting the slogan, doesn't mean they're right. Doesn't mean they're right. They used to all parrot the Earth was flat at one time in unison. And this is what it says here. The ship to Bife was led by Bush, which is all underweight in our parts of the world. I'm Alan Watt, uh, back again, after something odd happened with the phone. What it is, I'm not sure, but uh, apparently the phone started giving a kind of fax sound, and I don't have a fax. So I don't know what it was. I guess it's the boys in between having some fun, as they often do, because they put the youngsters on in these intelligence services to listen at night and especially weekends, and they get awfully bored, and they play with the lines and stuff. But I was reading this article, and I'll continue with it. It says, your standard green prescriptions are not much better Many renewables are not as efficient or as eco-friendly as are made out to be. Unsightly and inefficient wind farms will not enable us to give up fossil fuels, while large-scale hydroelectric power has major environmental costs. Moving over to organic methods of food production can have significant benefits in terms of animal welfare and reducing fuel costs, but it is nothing to stop the devastation of wilderness that goes with expanding farming to feed a swelling human population. As you'll notice, the big boys are moving into farming big time at the Roth Rockefeller, well, the Rothschilds actually, bought hundreds of farms over in, in India, maybe thousands, and they would be the main, the main owners, the agri-food business over in India. And now I, I see that Bill Gates is also going into this big time. So once again, these big philanthropists that own trillions of dollars are going out to grab your food supply. That's what it is. Now that they've put most of the farmers out of business. It says here, so conventional green nostrums are not all that different from Bush's business as usual policies. In each case, the end result can only be a planet gutted of biodiversity with humanity exposed to an increasingly hostile environment. To some extent, technology may be able to replace the biosphere that has been destroyed. Really, really, it's been destroyed, has it? Um, but like an obese patient hooked up to an artificial life support system, we'll be living on borrowed time. Oh, terror, terror everywhere. One day the machine won't stop. Uncomfortable fact, which is ignored or denied by both ends of the environmental debate, is that an energy-intensive lifestyle of the kind enjoyed in the rich parts of the world, that's all us people, that's all us, you that are reaching at the bottom of your pockets right now to cough up the extra taxes and stuff, that's you, it says here cannot be extended to a human population of 9 or 10 billion. The level forecast in the UN studies, they're often good at these forecasts, but never right, for the middle of the century. In terms of resources, human numbers are already unsustainable. See, they're telling you there's too many. You're the problem. And I keep talking about the first global revolution, the name of the book, the title of the book written by the founders of the Club of Rome, the big think tank that dreamed up the idea of pretending it's global, global warming and believing the population for causing it in an effort to try and unite the planet so we'd all do what we're told and get this agenda through to make us all serfs again. And the authors admit that in that book. It's the guys who dreamed it up. 
So here's this guy parting the same thing. He's on the payroll, and he'll belong to the Royal Institute for International Affairs, no doubt, because these guys are propagandists, and they work for the major mainstream medias and give out this kind of pablum. This is contrary to the Greens. There is not the remotest prospect that the world will renounce the use of fossil fuels. Ask any competent energy economist, and you will discover that no expansion of renewables can satisfy the demand for energy that has been generated in China and India. Anyway, anyway, does anyone really expect the countries getting rich from hydrocarbons, Russia, Iran, Venezuela, and the Gulf states, to give them up? As long as there is enough demand, these countries will continue extracting fossil fuels. The only way forward is to curb the need for fossil fuels, but at the same time, since there is no way of giving them up altogether, making them cleaner, this means making full use of technologies many environmentalists view with suspendous or superstitious horror. They was only talk about nuclear energy and how you bring that back and how genetically modified crops are going to be our saviors as we all mutate into odd weird creatures. And, and the rest of it is not really worth reading because it's a, it's a pablum piece, it's a propaganda piece put out in a typical fashion with all its predisposed presumptions to make you go along with it. And that's how we're given propaganda. It's quite simple. Uh, the more you hear it, the more people will generally part it. Brzezinski said, remember, Brzezinski said shortly the public will be unable to think for themselves. They'll only be able to converse the following day discussing the previous night's news. And unfortunately, he's right, it's happened. If it's on television, it must be true. Wag the dog, watch the movie Wag the dog. Went through the whole scenario of how you con the public by being on TV. They can tell you anything on television and the public believe it. They've, they've even pulled off stupendous jokes on television and given fake pictures just for a laugh and the public all believe it. It's on TV, it must be true. The holy TV. And we're all brainwashed and we're all herded along a path towards this particular plan, the business plan, and only a tiny, tiny minority of the public truly understand what's going on. Other ones who are involved in, in movements, left or right wing, doesn't matter, see bits of the plan, but they don't see the rest of it. You've got to shed all your previous beliefs to see the whole big picture and how it all works together, left and right which mobilizes you along the same path towards someone else's goal. So science is supposed to be your savior. And they're going to elevate the scientist to an even higher level, a higher level of holiness than he already has. And all, all we'll see eventually are guys with, with badges that say expert. That's all they have to say, expert. And we'll part what they say. Badges and expert doesn't take much to control a planet these days. But again, there's no interaction between the generations. The previous generations had little to pass on after about 1940, because they had a field day after World War II. They were given a few extra pennies. They wanted to get married, have children, have fun, and they had a lot of fun for a while. Eventually, they gave them easy credit in America's too which helped to exacerbate that fun. 
when you're having lots of fun and living like there's no tomorrow and with the introduction of television you didn't do much conversing anyway and you could always give the children money to go out and play and that's what's happened there's no there's no teaching the young the state as Bertrand Russell said the state now gives value the values to the children and the parents have nothing really to pass on because we've been degenerated by television primarily and magazines and the culture they've given us for the last 50 years that's almost like three breeding generations 50-60 years you knock the pillars away with the first generation to make them debauched the second generation will accept more of it and today anything goes as we can see there's simply no bonding, no cohesion between family units. That's exactly what they said to do has happened. We don't even have, and most folk don't have the finances to take care of their own parents. At one time that was common, that they'd move in, or one or the survivor would move in with their offspring. That's gone too. It's very expensive now. The state has taken over that role too. Back with more after the following messages. Hi folks. I'm Alan Watt back, cutting through the matrix and cutting through all the distorted perceptions with which we're we're bombarded with every day all these warped ideas that we get through propaganda masses of propaganda we're even told to focus our attention what to worry about it's the economy it's this that's the other and they give you all these different things to look at so you're always distracted and worrying about the things they tell you to worry about meanwhile it's like the magician on the stage who wears the white gloves and the black coat and when he's showing you his right hand you're not looking at his left hand. So I generally try not to look at what the show is. There's something always bigger somewhere else going on, which they'll keep low key. That's how we're controlled. We're told what to worry about as well. And let's be honest, you know, when you think about it, when they, when they give us all the pablum about the NASDAQ and all the rest of these fancy sounding names that no one has a clue what they really mean, uh, except the guys that control them and laugh at us that try and follow them, um, it means nothing at all. It's a juggling act. It's a numbers racket. Money itself at the top is a complete numbers racket. That's what they used to call it in the 20s and 30s when the gambling was going on. A numbers racket. It's all games by, by numbers. Games by numbers. What, what is money anyway? It's now blips on a screen. It's now dashes through the ether. The big, big corporations like Merrill Lynch and others, can transfer billions of dollars overnight, maybe to three different banks, depending on which ones are opening and, and what the rate is there. And again, they'll make millions on that investment for maybe a half hour, one hour, two hours, and then transfer to another one. Just like that. Meanwhile, all the people at the bottom are scraping for a living. Most folks scrape for a living. The biggest corporations pay no taxes at all. Some of them in Canada haven't paid taxes for 17 years. 
and the government won't go after them because the excuse being is, well, if we, we hit them too hard, they might close down and you'd lose jobs. See, we don't have that option at the bottom. We don't pay your taxes and you're in the slammer. That's how simple it is. We are owned by a big extortion racket. It's not new. There's nothing new under the sun. Your perceptions are different, that's all. They're new. The last century they had different perceptions. And before it and before it and before it and so on. We are owned lock, stock and barrel. And our function really, as citizens of nations, is to produce and consume. That means produce and pay taxes and consume. That's a good citizen. The definition given out by the United Nations. I didn't know that's what life was all about. And now they've told us, so I'm very, very grateful to them for clarifying that. And the whole idea of nations in the first place, we've got to understand what was given to us by those that already ruled uh, whole vast areas of old Europe. They had their cousins move into other countries with massive armies. And a hundred years later, they pretend they were creating a nation and drawing a border and they'd have wars ongoing down through the centuries as they fleeced the public, reduced the population, and kept themselves in power. After all, we need them to save us. That's the con game that still goes on today. Now they're taking away those borders and going for the world. Well, from Hamish and myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you.